Welcome back, or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we meet with Tim Tollefson, a professional runner for Hoka based in Mammoth Lakes, California. Tim probably needs no introduction, but of course, he is one of the most decorated mountain ultra trail runners of all time, most notably with a podium finish at the 2015 CCC, 2016 UTMB, and then again at the 2017 UTMB, which most ultra historians would say was the most competitive 100 miler ever in our sports history. In this conversation, we talk about his focus these days on the Western States 100, his new role in the sport as a race director for the Mammoth Trail Fest, which takes place this September, his thoughts on athlete brand relationships, and the importance of training for the mental aspects of the sport as well. Let's get started. Welcome, Tim. Tim Tollefson, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Finn. Suddenly, your voice got a lot clearer and like more focused as soon as you hit record. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're going for the NPR vibe here at Single Track. Um, but hey, it, I feel like it's been a long time coming because we have a lot of mutual connections. I'm based here in Salt Lake City, and at least 75% of this famous Chico State uh, trail running convert tribe lives out here. I know Jimmy Elam and Anthony Costales, and one day we're going to get the famous Brent Handa out onto the trails, but um, it's good to meet you too. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little sad that they all migrated east and didn't stay in Mammoth, um, but uh, it's understandable that it's cool to see all those guys still crushing. Um, and a fun fact, Brent, he, uh, he actually officiated my wedding um, wearing toe shoes, which was hilarious because I've like always made fun of those. <laughs> Another fun fact, he is the creator of the logo for this show. Not just a legendary runner, an extremely talented graphic artist as well. And apparently he does weddings. So what can that man not do in yeah. Vibrams? Yep. <laughs> um, we have a lot to talk about today. I've been waiting to have this conversation for a while. I think the first thing to go over is the fact that uh, you now have a new gig on the running scene. You're not just a pro athlete. You're a race director. So talk about this new event that's happening in Mammoth soon. Yeah. So this is really exciting. Um, so we're we're launching the Mammoth Trail Fest um, this September 22nd through the 25th. And it's going to be a series uh, or like multiple day festival oriented around just community, badass trail running, um, get some inspiring people in our sport to you know talk or show films. Um, really just trying to create a platform for more people to access our incredible sport. Um, and it's been something that's been incubating for probably since 2015, almost you know, 2016, um, after my first UTMB experience. And um, I just realized that, you know, with the, I mean, we have some amazing events here stateside, especially like the rut. I think the um, what Mike has done is incredible. Um, mm. And at that time, I wasn't familiar with the rut. I was new to the sport. So like I was more introduced to big events through UTMB. Um, and then I realized, wow, like there's kind of this, this absence in this, in domestically in the States for that. Um, and then, you know, obviously with respect to the rut and broken arrow, and now there are some amazing events coming up, but it was kind of this, this mission of, I think we should cultivate and have more of these things stateside. Um, and then just 
over the last seven years, I've had a lot of opportunities to to travel the globe and experience a lot of events, big, small, um, through you know amazing terrain, uh, and and I really just wanted to be able to piece that together and take my favorite components and create something in California. Um, you know, a lot of people can't travel the way maybe some of us elites or people you know they have one bucket list and it's a it's a huge financial burden and uh, barrier to to get to some of these events. So my hope is that in California, you know right here in the smacka center of the eastern sierra um, that we can provide that platform for people to come and have these you know mass european style experiences but you know in california in the golden state so i'm pretty pretty excited about it and this will be a festival format so multi-day yep um, so right now we're going to do three days of three separate races. Um, the first day will be our, our shorter kind of intro event, uh, 26K. Uh, then Saturday, that's Friday. Saturday we'll do the 50K. And then Sunday will be a hill climb. Um, and we're going to have a, uh, like a presentation and award ceremony on the top of the summit at 11,053 feet following that, uh, the hill climb. So a little different than maybe some of the traditional stuff. Um, but uh, and then we we've toyed around with the idea of multiple different race distances. I, I have permits for much longer races, uh, but for me, I really dig the sub ultra, and I think that you know to to really reach a wide audience domestically, I want to start to include more of that to to get people excited. And then if they want to do longer stuff, they can always you know look at other options that are already established. Um, but that's not to say that we we won't have long races eventually. But um, this year we're really going to focus more on kind of that that middle ground. And and personally, 50k is my favorite distance. You know, you, I feel like that's the threshold where you can still hammer and race like true like true racing where it's every second counts and then you get to 50 mile and beyond it's kind of like you know you're you're it's what you can do in a race shifts uh is much more about enduring than just like pedal the metal so i want to talk in a minute about sub ultras as a gateway to growing the sport like how it's easier than maybe just saying hey ultra running it's 100k 100 mile distances that's it but um, I was talking with Mike Foote on a separate episode earlier because you mentioned he does the rut. And I do love this festival format because we have so few opportunities as a community to come together for more than like a day. And it happens like once or twice a year. And if we can stretch that out to three or four days at once, I think it just, it grows deeper roots in the community. And uh, yeah, it's it just in addition to the race, there's more opportunities just to convene and be friends and all that kind of stuff. So huge kudos on that format. For sure. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, that's, those have been my best experiences. Like, obviously, like everybody, I've had some terrible races and I've had some good races and on the terrible races, especially if you just show up and then leave, it's kind of a really sad experience, you know? So if you can celebrate other people a little bit longer or just, you know, hang out with the community, I think it's really special. And, and this year, a lot of my closest friends in the sport, you know, elite athletes or media space uh, based people, they're all committed to coming out and just kind of enjoying. So I think it'll be a great venue just to hopefully like plant some of those seeds and, and nurture like deeper connections throughout our entire sport, like front to back of the pack. You mentioned that uh, UTMB and the Euro scene was a fairly big inspiration for the race and that there's other festival type formats here in the U.S. like Broken Arrow and the Rut. Are there any other particular features of this new Mammoth series that you're excited about or maybe you're toying with implementing that aren't quite there yet? So I think a, a really neat thing about our our event is that 
anyone that's been to Mammoth, they know that it's like a quintessential small mountain town. You know, we're probably four square miles across. Um, you can walk to everything. Um, you know, the community is like we're a huge tourist space community. So the locals, you know, we need tourism to, to survive. Um, and and so all basically every domain of our community is excited about doing this, you know, from our tourism board to the chamber, to the hospital, to the, the ski area, to local businesses. You know, I, I just think it's going to be that feeling of when you come in, it's almost like you're entering this, you know, kind of like that Chamonix style um, uh, venue where it just feels a little more intimate versus being sp spread out or it's like, oh, we have to drive. You know, I, I love uh, a lot of the, the ski area events that happen in the States, um, but some of them kind of, it's like, oh, you have to drive up to the ski area and then you're kind of removed a little bit. Um, and it doesn't, it just feels fragmented. And, and I know that's logistically just how our infrastructure is designed in the States in a lot of ways, but Mammoth is a much, you know, more uh, closely knit geographical and uh, I'd say, you know, just from an infrastructure standpoint. So I think we're going to be able to offer something pretty unique. Um, and then I, something that, you know, we could talk about eventually, but um, I, I really want to lean into like the storytelling aspect and like the, the live coverage and that stuff. And obviously year one, we're going to be limited in terms of uh, resources, bandwidth and personnel, but that is the big term vision is connecting and being able to tell these stories. Cause I think, you know, that's where it's really going to bring more people into the fold and we're going to have a greater reach and hopefully be able to scale um, a bit, bit better. So. This is a somewhat technical question and I'll preface it by saying there's a ton of areas around the country, especially in the Eastern Sierra, but also in places like Northern New England, where there's other great mountain ranges where I'd love to see races happen, but permitting is a huge issue. And I'm curious in your case, when you were selling this race um, and getting permits and stuff like that was, did you pitch the economic benefits to the community as one of the reasons why this should go through? I didn't lead with that, but it did come up. Okay. Um, and from the, from my experience working with the Forest Service, because that's our biggest permitting agency, the U.S. Forest Service, because um, most of our courses are on on their land, we we really or through through my relationships with them, and I'd say that's the biggest thing. You have to build a relationship with them, um, and and we it was a, it was a challenge, and it's because their department is stretched so thin. Um, you know, the idea of having another event that they're going to permit isn't, it's not that they're not interested. It's just they, they have limited resources um, and, and they take a percentage of uh, overall profits or proceeds. Um, uh, but it's still not going to be a big money making operation for, for them. So it's, it's kind of, you know, there's not a huge incentive um, and they, their job is to mitigate all trail users. So if you're permitting like a, you know, a medium or a large scale event, they have to be thoughtful to all the other user groups out there on the same day. Like it's, they, and in the U S we cannot close trails and I don't think we ever should. Um, we need to be thoughtful to all the other users, but they have to kind of, kind of take a big picture. So even if it's like, Hey, we could drive X amount of thousands of people to our area. They're still thinking about the environmental impact, the impact on other trail user groups. Um, you know, it's not, it's not going to be an economic decision for them in terms of, you know, Oh, this could stimulate our economy. And I understand that. Um, but it, it was a big challenge to, to get courses approved. And that took several years actually, um, wow. to get the ones I wanted. And, and then I also have to remind myself, like, what we settled on are amazing courses, but like I wanted so much more and I would kept being told no. Um, and I have to kind of remind myself that 
people won't know what they don't know. Um, you know, they're still going to have an amazing experience. This is an awesome course. It's a loop course or all of them are. Um, but like being someone that's been in an area for such a long time, you're like, oh, but this one turn would have been awesome because you get this vantage point. Or I love that little rocky descent. And, and there's so many of those little things that you wouldn't even notice in a race. I have to re just kind of continually remind myself, no, it's, it's these are still awesome courses. Um, and, uh, and you're not always going to get what you want. And especially if you look at Mammoth, the, the location, we are landlocked by basically wilderness areas around every corner of our uh, community. So like these courses go up and teeter on the edge of all the non-wilderness uh, boundaries mm. and then like we encompass basically every usable trail we can in kind of a thoughtful non-contrived way would you ever consider affiliating this festival with larger race circuits for example solomon golden trail series or if you introduce these like for example like a 100k event the golden ticket series I'm not opposed to it. Um, I've had conversations with actually a lot of different entities um, over the last few years and, and have realized that there's a big appetite for something like this, um, especially I think Mammoth, we check a lot of people's boxes. And, and so I've, I've entertained you know, some serious consideration of things. And, and if nothing less, it's, it's validated that you know, without proof of concept, like my, my idea, and not just mine, everyone in the community's idea, we're onto something and and that excites me that there there's already interest from from people maybe to get involved before we have year one um and there there's a bit of that temptation of like oh okay like yeah we could just immediately have more resources if you do something like if you sign on with someone but i there's a big part of me that wants to you know for lack of a better phrase like see how the sausage is made you know like i've never directed a race i've never put on something like this um it excites me there's that curiosity of like oh what's what's it going to feel like? How, you know, how big of a lift is this? Um, yeah. and through just the backend, um, developmental stuff, I have a huge appreciation for all the events I've now gone to, especially the big European races where you like, I mean, they're building like mini cities in certain areas. It's like, okay, like I, I can't imagine that cause I'm just trying to, you know, get this small little thing going. Um, even though I have visions of it becoming very big, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, the, and I also feel that I, I'm excited about the growth of our sport. Like Dylan and I have talked about this a lot. Um, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's exciting for where it's headed. And I, I just hope that as a community, we continue to put our dollars and our time in things that we value. And, and that, because growth can be difficult, it can be challenging for any industry, you know, it growth can hurt. Um, but I think that if we have enough people with good intent and thoughtful, uh, kind of a uh, purpose behind our growth, I think we're going to have an amazing sport in the next couple of years to a decade plus. And, and I hope to be part of that, um, through this. And so if it was like, Hey, let's just get rid of this event right away not get rid, but let's, you know, sign on with someone else. I, I, it's not that I don't trust it, but I, I feel like there's that potential for maybe losing, uh, the control of the vision you had to start out with too quickly. I've made a note to return to that topic later in the conversation, this, the growth of the sport, good actors, keeping the vision, a couple more questions on the race directing front. Uh, are you in this sort of race directing fraternity sorority now? Have you been talking with fellow race directors and <laughs> in, in getting ideas and advice? I have, um, not as much as I should. And that goes back to probably just, you know, something more personal. I've always struggled asking for help. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I have an idea, I'm going to go with it. 
and then you're almost too prideful to lean on other people because you have to admit that you don't know something. And, and that's been a difficult thing for me when in reality, like we all should be lifetime learners and, and leaning on those around us. But I've just had that insecurity of, oh, like, oh, no, I'm going to fake it till I make it kind of thing, you know. And and so but I have reached out to Jamil, uh, Craig Thornley, Jamil Curry um, of Air Vipin. Craig Thornley, Western States. I have another really close friend. Um, uh, most people in the trail running world probably don't know him. Um, JT Service. He is yeah. behind Soul Focus Sports. Uh, I've been running against and with him for know, almost two decades now. A super cool guy, and he's built an amazing company. But he was one of my early mentors when I was getting this off the ground. And we talked, and I was like, hey, you know, it kind of feels like we're building the plane while we're flying. And, you know, it's, there's that high risk of falling or failure, but that's what is exciting. And I think if, if it was a guaranteed success, it's probably, you're not chasing the right goal. Um, but so I've tried to lean on those people, but again, I should have leaned harder earlier because I dealt with a lot of just, uh, I'd say anxiety and, and fear around what I was doing. And because I wouldn't ask for help, it, it was worse than it needed to be. This reminds me, I'm having the folks from Ultra sign up on the podcast in a couple of weeks and it's going down the research rabbit hole. And apparently, you may already know this, but apparently they have a Slack group for race directors. So like every single RD that posts a race on their platform, apparently there's a whole community. I think that's kind of cool. It is. And and that's another, like I saw that, I was like, oh, I don't need that. Like I, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. It's like, no, I, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but it, uh, I have seen those little notifications because I'm, I'm hosting on their platform as well. Right on. Uh, what made you want to be a race director? You know, I wouldn't say I necessarily want to be a race director, but I wanted to create something for our, for our community, from our community in a place that I love. Mm. And, and so I, I could even see this as it grows. I don't necessarily, well, I guess this is, we could even like sidestep for a moment. Like, there's so many roles in an event like this. Um, you know, there's the the permitting, there's the relationship building, there's the race directing, there's the course directing, there's, you know, you, the list is long. And and again, like I can't do everything. So I don't know where my role of eventually is gonna really gonna um, kind of solidify. Mm. So in year one, I am kind of doing a little of everything um, from, you know, just learning the website design and marketing, um, like everything I've just kind of fumbled through on my own. And, and that's been fun because I've always had this creative uh, side that, uh, like, kind of, I would say, became more dormant after uh, after I got into undergrad and graduate school, just because the medical field doesn't really promote that. But uh, earlier on in my life, it was much more of kind of a creative outlet um, that drove a lot of the stuff I did. So I've just enjoyed that, um, and so it's it's more I want to create something for people to to experience trail running because trail running well, running has really changed my life. You know, there've been a lot of struggles, but as a general theme, I think it's an amazing sport. I think it's something that everyone should have access to. And, and that's, what's driven kind of my purpose is I want to share this with people. And you're, you're going all in on this, right? Obviously you have like your contracts with Hoka from a running performance standpoint, but you're leaving the PT world to do this full time. Correct. So at the moment I am per diem at our sports center. Um, and which, for the last decade, I've been working in an outpatient orthopedic setting, uh, working with, you know, community members, recreational athletes, pro athletes. And and uh, so I'm stepping aside from that to, to really lean into this. And I think some of what I, I ultimately realized was, although that's a very fulfilling career, it, it also <laughs> held a lot of uh, anxiety for me personally, just because my 
my identity as a runner got wrapped up pretty heavily in my identity as a PT, meaning that like I would get referrals from doctors or surgeons that say, only see Tim Tollefson. And, and like the amount of pressure I put on myself from that was pretty immense. And that would lead into a lot of other uh, maladapted uh, kind of responses in my personal life where, you know, it wasn't that I didn't believe I could help someone, but suddenly I just had this immense unchecked pressure inside my head that if I don't fix this person today, where in reality you can't do that in PT, it takes a, you know, it's going to take a while physiologically. I, I just had this, I really struggled with it. Um, and then that, that didn't help my, my running career. Um, then I always had the side hustle of, I want to build this trail fest. And a lot of things were just at odds with one another. And ultimately I was burning myself out. Like I was trying to work three full-time jobs essentially. And it's starting to feel as though I was dropping everything and not doing well at anything. And so, um, yeah, stepping away from the PT world, uh, it's been a hard move and it's been a like multi-year kind of effort. And, but I, I feel like in the PT um, domain, I can make a, a huge impact on an individual, which you know is is very rewarding and powerful. But with something like this, I'm hoping I can have a greater reach. And I feel like you know there are so many great therapists, both in my clinic, my my colleagues, and like throughout the country. I just feel like I'm not tapping my potential by continuing just to dive down the PT world, um, you know, kind of hole. I, I feel like there's something more out there for me. And, and this creative side, I think is where, well, it's, it's definitely where I'm going to take my next crack at something. So this is the perfect place to transition. We ask this question all the time on the show. In retrospect, do you think that working full-time as a PT was good or bad for your running career? And maybe this is two parts, but do you ever wish that you had experimented with running completely full-time? So I guess my personal experience, if it was one or the other, it's mixed. Um, I don't think I would have done better running full-time in the sense of only having running. Um, I, I know that I would, I do better with balance. Um, I don't think I've had balance in my life. So from that standpoint, if I hadn't been working full-time as a PT, maybe my running career could have been better um, earlier on, but I think I still would have had to fill, I would have had to have filled my days with something. Um, And this, you know, I was introduced to this back in, and maybe I just have known too much, (laughs) Um, but some of my, uh, like one of my best friends and college teammates, he he turned pro before his last year of eligibility at Chico, and he signed a multi-year deal with Adidas. Um, he actually introduced me to Mammoth Lakes. Um, I came on his recruiting trip with him, and and then I, you know, got to know him and his teammates at the Mammoth Track Club back in the day, which you know were star-studded field of Olympians like Dina Castor and Meb and Ryan Hall and Sarah, um, Anna Willard, all or Pierce, all these amazing track athletes, uh, Morgan Usney and. And I got to know these people and I realized like, and as an up and coming, you know, track athlete, people I, I really looked up to and I witnessed multiple members of that team either struggle with like only having running and then mixed with losing contracts despite amazing seasons, making world championship teams, meddling at like global events and then losing contracts. So in my you know mind as a aspiring runner at the time is like, if these pros, like true pros of the sport, can barely make it or not barely, but they're, they're on the chopping block. It built up this narrative in my head that 
yeah, like someone like me that's just kind of a regional athlete is never going to make it. So then as I got into the trail world and actually had sponsors and, and was making it um, in the sense of like, oh, okay, I can make a living off this. I always had these seeds of fear that, no, like if these like legitimate pros in my mind couldn't maintain contracts, how could I? And so it, it really kind of scared me where I always had to have my foot in another domain and I always had to be planning for the future of, oh no, well, like, well when these contracts are up, I have to have something a fallback. And I think some of that led me from I, ever going all in, in a sense, but also it became a crutch where it's like, oh, well, that doesn't go, that race doesn't go well. I, I still have this. I still have, you kind of can almost settle on knowing that you have a fallback, if that makes sense. You just reminded me, is it a worthwhile endeavor to create more stability for the pro athlete? And I'm always curious, like why more brands and maybe Hoka does this, but you sign an athlete like yourself. And then there's always this long-term plan where like, once your competitive days are over, there's a way to integrate you somehow into the marketing department, for example, so that at the very least, you know, that like when you're not running as fast as you used to, or you got injured and the results aren't coming, you have some place in the company no matter what so there's stability and there's less like perverse incentives to do certain things during your athletic career totally and and this is something that i've had conversations with many athletes and and people in brands for a decade um, and i'm sure it's a conversation a lot of people have and we're starting to see a little bit more of that like tracksmith has signed athletes that are also employees um and and i think it's really neat yeah. to start to see that a bit more because uh, for sure and I mean, that's really, if you're thinking about a company as athletes, we are basically in their marketing budget or in their departments. Um, we have so much more to give than just a podium performance. Like, you know, we're going to depend on the sport. A marathoner might race twice a year, you know, an ultra running, which is wild. We could be racing half a dozen to a dozen times a year, but still it's, it's a small percentage of, I feel like the return on the investment a company could get if you were including them in different ways. Like, I mean, I have friends that were accountants, accounting majors, like in, in college, like why not have them mentor with your accounting department 10 hours a week or something. So you're building this, this, uh, kind of professionalism on in their, in their vocational domain. And, and I think that it serves athletes better because I, I also know a lot of athletes that they ride the highest highs and then they're suddenly cut and they can't find a career path. And that's really tr sad. Um, and I think that speaks to a larger systemic issue, even with collegiate sports, you know, like how many D one players in basketball and football have really don't have much of a future set after, you know, the final championship. Um, and at least now with the, um, name image likeness, hopefully they can ma make some money off of their, you know, their talents in, in uh, college. But I just think that there's, a huge disconnect on how much we celebrate athletes and then how there's not a post um, environment for them to thrive in. And, and I know there are some groups starting to work on, or they've been working on this. I'm not really familiar with it, but I think there needs to be more of that in every sport. Let's just imagine a world where athletes have that protective layer that they know that they're secure in their position. And when the career's over, they have some place in the company. Therefore, it does maybe make sense to, to go full time. Do you think that the performances in our sport at the top end would be better and the competition would be deeper if there were more athletes that went full time, like in the NBA and the MLB or the NFL, or is running a unique sport where it doesn't need to be your one thing to get the best out of yourself? Until recently, I would have said 
probably know you don't need that. But as I've started to have well, some of this as a time issue, I, I never had the time to even look at uh, look into other sports. But I think that there would be probably uh, more potential for, for top end like growth at a performance standpoint if we had that supportive network. Um, and just using me as an N of one, yes. Like if I knew, if I had open conversations with team managers or brands and they reassured me that, hey, like it's okay if we skip this race or it's okay to really focus on this next thing, I I would have done things that are better for myself. Um, uh, but I, like just recently, I've, I've really looked into um, like Kobe Bryant um, and and, you know, ignorantly, I didn't understand how much he had things locked down. Like, and I'm just amazed by what he did with his career. And it's, I mean, it's no surprise, like you don't stay, you know, at the top and you're not a goat for, you know, most people wouldn't be there, you know, uh, accidentally. But, you know, one thing like he talked about how Phil, uh, when Phil showed up, like he immediately introduced them to meditation and like mindful practices, you know, in the early, like probably 2000 or 99. And, and I'm just like, wow, what would have happened if I'd known what mindfulness or meditation was 20 years ago? Like, you know, we, I think we all stumble upon those states, but accidentally, and you just, you can't explain what you're experiencing or you can't replicate it very well. So that, you know, I, I was talking to a friend recently, it's like throughout my career, collegiate, post-collegiate or pro trail running, I've had so many times where I step on, I'm like, I hope this race goes well. You should never hope a race goes well. Like you should know you're going to execute. You should know that you're going to get the best out of yourself. And, and, you know, I think those mindset shifts come from being educated, come from having resources, come from having a team around you, having, you know, that education on, hey, this is what top end performance looks like. And, you know, I, I went to a D2 school in college. We never... We, we never talked about sports psych. Um, I've never been, I still have never talked with a sports psych. Um, but I, I know that a lot of the top programs in D1, you know, if they have budgets, like there's mandatory meetings for like athletes to meet with sports psychs. I feel like as a brand, if I was leading a, a, um, a company, like, and let's say I was in charge of Hoke and I had a stable of athletes, stable of athletes, I would be linking them up with people that could help promote the top end of their sport. Um, and, and personally, I've never experienced that. Um, I've never asked for it. You know, it's not that it wouldn't have been received. I didn't know what to ask for, but I think our sport could see better performances if we had that basically environment that cultivated, you know, excellence. You mentioned mindfulness and meditation there, which I think are excellent examples because one of the questions I've always struggled with on behalf of pro athletes is, in our sport, is there enough stuff to occupy your day that isn't physically taxing? Because running itself requires so much of you. Whereas like Kobe Bryant, as a basketball example, he can go and shoot layups or free throws. And he could probably do that for hours on end in addition to the practice. And like, that's not going to crush him. He can repeat that day after day, but running, even if you're going on like a recovery run, you're taxed, you're waiting like at least 10 to 12 hours to do it all over again. So mindfulness and meditation is good ones, but I'm always wondering what else could you do to fill your day that would progress you, but wouldn't tax you too much. Yeah, I think there are probably, there's, there's stuff that could be done because as you said, like, you know, Kobe could practice, like take a thousand shots a day. And then in the game setting, like he's seen every mo, like every, you know, potential scenario. So it's not a surprise. Like it's so practiced. Um, you can't do that in running, but I think there are 
a lot of those psychological things you could work on. Or I think that just getting involved with, you know, the, the company or having a part-time job, I think mm. that is going to give you that balance. But it's, mm. I think the, the key there and what I haven't had is flexibility. You know, it's kind of like, hey, let's get a four-hour block of training in the morning and then let's go do something for two to four hours and then maybe do an evening session or some recovery. Mm. Um, you know, like in a medical model, we're pretty, you know, strict on like, hey, a patient's going to show up at 8.45. I have to be there at 8.45, you know, whatever it is. Um, and my job has been more flexible than a lot, but it's still not as much as I should have had to really be at my best or to prioritize some of those other things. Um, and then also, I mean, this is a, a much more... Uh, systemic thing but like a fear for me to make a move was also how in this country our insurance is tied to an employer and yep. in the last two years it's the first time i've actually used my insurance by going to like um therapy you know like you know more to work on you know just psycho stuff and like the the thought of losing my insurance and not being able to access these services kept me in a role that it wasn't the best for me at the moment also um which is a a wild kind of a you know state to find yourself in and and so then it's like well there are a lot of people that stay in roles because of this fear of okay how am i gonna get insurance you know and and uh so i think that's that's something that is just unfortunate um yeah that is such an excellent point about healthcare. Like I always, one thing that, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but one thing that keeps me up at night is how many people in the world who should be doing something else are kept in a job simply because of either the golden handcuffs or healthcare and fearing injury. It's insane. We could be unlocking so much creativity and passion projects. It's, it blows my mind and it's sad. It's um, really sad. Okay, so we've talked about the career and sort of this healthcare safety net and not necessarily implicating your own sponsors, but just talking about like the state of athlete brand relationships in general. Is there anything else that you would like to see improved knowing that you've been in the sport now for like eight years? So early on in my career, I, I, well, I, I'd say like mentorship. I think that would be a huge thing. Um, I would love to see NDAs go away because um, I think that would give athletes a lot of power. Um, in in every contract we basically sign, there's an NDA um, where you're not allowed to speak about the specifics of a contract. And I think that historically that has allowed manufacturers a lot of power over an athlete and, and athletes are con contracted um, contractors. So they're, they're not employees. They can't get, you know, insurance through the company. Um, they, they don't like fall under the umbrella of any of those um, protections that an employee would have. Um, and so I think that it'd be great to have, have some of that removed. Um, I was fortunate that, you know, living in Mammoth, I got to know some of these pro athletes um, that were in the marathon and track world. Um, I reached out to Josh Cox, who is a, an agent um, for a lot of pro runners. Um, and, and he was, a, or he is a friend. And, and so I used him as basically, um, a mentor to like, kind of ask about certain things and how contracts worked. Um, and at that time when I was looking to sign a deal, you know, my pie was so small, it didn't make sense to have him as a, an agent. Um, and, and so like he, he more did it just as a favor, like as a friend to kind of advise me. Um, but that at least gave me some, some place like, you know, some something to start with um and then as i've 
gone through my career, I've made a lot of mistakes in negotiations, um, and but I've learned a lot. And it's kind of like, oh, it'd be nice to be able, to, nice to be able to pay that forward to the next generation to hopefully make sure that they can, you know, you know, avoid some of the same pitfalls um, and recognize that you don't have to just sign, you know, for whatever they're offering the first time. You know, it's a negotiation. Um, and but I think as athletes or as runners, I should say, we come from a place of this like just feeling grateful for any opportunity. If, if someone's going to kick me some free gear, I'm like, oh, I'm so lucky. It's like, well, are you providing a service? Are you going to be, you know, hopefully helping return on an investment from a company like, and you're, you're really, you know, pushing the sport forward, then you shouldn't just be signing for some free gear or some travel. You know, there mm -hmm. should, you should be advocating for a lot more, but because you don't know what the, the market is, it's hard to ask it's also very uncomfortable because you're talking about yourself. It can feel uh, selfish or ego inflated, or you can feel like, oh, like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm asking for too much. But in reality, it's a business decision, and that's where you know the power of an agent is. There, I think, would be helpful. Um, they are experts in that. Um, but then, depending on what kind of contract you're looking at, you'd be giving up a percentage of your your p potential earnings to a, an agent. And so, I think the overall model it's it's really set up not to to be the best for a lot of young athletes. I mean, it's true for a lot of sports, um, but I think that would be a great thing to see lifted or, you know, at least adapted or be a little more um, transparent with. Uh, I've had great relationships with my sponsors um, and negotiations and, and they've always been very thoughtful and respectful. And, and I haven't gotten the sense, like, especially in the last six years, none of my sponsors have tried to exploit my services or pull fast ones where earlier on in my career, I experienced that a few times where I didn't understand legal jargon. Um, and, and so now like, I've been very thankful, especially, you know, Hoka and some of these others, they, they've always done right by me. Mm. Um, but personally, I still have a lot of anxiety over it because I'm, you know, I, I, it, it's personal, you know, it's, it's, I'm talking about myself with them. I'm trying to value myself. Um, it's a, it's an uncomfortable state to be in. I personally, I feel that way. Um, where, you know, to a company, it's just a line item, you know, it's, it's pretty clear cut and like, you know, maybe you could ask for more and, but it, it I think they're just uncomfortable conversations to have. Um, but I've learned to get better at it and learn to remove some of that attachment of, of, uh, you know, kind of fear and, 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 and I mean, that's true in any domain. Like you could be in the tech world, you could be in the PT world, like performance reviews, all these types of things, they can be uncomfortable. Um, but it's learned to manage those feelings, um, throughout it. Um, but I think historically it's like, you know, and I won't use like trail running, but track running, like we had this saying that you're just a replaceable billboard, like, and everyone knows it, like you're going to have a good two to four year run. And then the next NCAA champ is going to come out and you're going to get replaced. You know, and, and it was a sad state, but that was kind of the the repeat. Um, you know, we, we saw that every couple of years um, in the track and field world where it's like you're just going to get replaced by a younger, faster version of yourself. And that's a that's a hard place to be as an athlete just knowing that it's it's a very short shelf life. Um, and uh, and then also, if you don't know what you're asking for or negotiations, like you could really come out not very profitable. I wonder how much longer the numbers around contracts are still going to be a black box because like I was just watching sports center earlier today and on the ticker, it was like NBA player signs four year, $20 million deal, or, you know, X player traded to Y team for X number of cash and a player to be named later. It's like, I wonder if that will ever become like a thing in, in anywhere in the running world. It's, it's fascinating to think about. 
Yeah, and I think with running, what's int- what's different is a lot of those, from my understanding, a lot of those teams, they're signing deal. Athletes are signing deals with teams, and those aren't under the same sort of restrictions as like we don't know how much LeBron is making from Nike necessarily. We're, we know how much he's making from his team. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's kind of like, you know, I guess a little more confusing, but there, there are a lot of sponsorships. We don't know how much someone's making um, because they are under more of a, an NDA possibly. Um, but in running, it's kind of like, since everyone's only dealing with like a, a company, it's all shadowed. Since you've been in the sport, whatever it was, whatever it's been eight to 10 years, do you think that the number of pro athletes that have had the opportunity to do this full time has increased or has it stagnated? Like, is it still like the same small number that uh, can like not have a side gig, not have a side hustle? I would, I would guess that it has increased Mm. as there have been more companies that have come in. Um, Like, like let's say just in the last couple of years adidas has made a big push um and they've done a lot of neat things with like trail running camps for their team and and they you know have increased their stable so my thought would be that if you have companies like that or now brooks is coming in um hoka made a big push a few years ago to really in, increase our stable um i th- i feel like there there probably is um probably not as large as we might think because majority of athletes i would assume are more on that like kind of ambassador role where they have gear or maybe some performance bonuses um a lot of small companies i'm sure are barely giving anything um in in return for asking a lot of athletes um so i don't think it's uh i, <laughs> I think there's a small percentage but i would hope that it's more than a decade ago let's transition to uh your racing career because in my opinion, as a fan of the sport, you're still one of the very best. You're still at the height of your powers. You just ran the fourth fastest time ever at Way Too Cool. Uh, I want to talk about UTMB first because I think you said in an interview uh, maybe about a year ago today that your curiosity for that race had fizzled. And I'm curious if you still feel the same because I know how important having curiosity for a race is to you for you to care about it and uh, show up and perform well. It, the curiosity over that event in terms of my, hmm, I'd say in terms of like what it might feel like to get around the, the mountain, uh, it, that definitely has waned. Um, and I think after two successful years in 2016 and 2017, there was a bit of that, yeah, okay, like I know what's possible in a sense, like I, I know that I can do it and it wasn't as exciting of venturing into the unknown. Um, and then that kind of piggybacked onto several years of like more just kind of really struggling internally with, with different stuff. And, and so there wasn't, yeah, there was no real interest in going back out there. Um, but there felt like there was a lot of inertia behind me going back out there. Um, and I'd say it's only been maybe the last six months as I've started to, to work on more of this, you know, self-actualization, uh, like realizing that, Oh, like there, there is a lot of hunger to still be out there and, and see what I'm capable of. I'm starting to repeak that curiosity, um, where, and, and I think some of it also is back to like not needing 
not needing UTMB anymore to validate something like, you know, to try and fill a, a self-worth issue where it's more, I think I can go back there driven out of a sense of, okay, I want to see what I'm capable on the, on the day and, and not be afraid of failing. And I think that's where I could unlock that potential, um, where so much of my athletic career has been driven by other people's opinions. Um, you know, driven out of a sense of insecurity or like, you know, trying to validate like a worth issue. Um, and when you're in that, in your, in that mindset, you really can't operate, um, to your full potential because you're, you're constantly driven. I think one out of like, not the best intent, but you're, you're at, you're not able to be in the present moment. Like you're so worried about what the future might hold through an accomplishment or guilting over what the past has, like what has happened. Um, and you're not able to be in that moment and, you know, in running, that's the flow state, you know, and I think anyone that has experienced flow knows how amazing that feeling and addictive that feeling can be and how probably your best performances come out of that state. But it's a state that you know, we can replicate with greater frequency, but you really need to get out of your own way to do that. Um, and, and like you said earlier, you have to be present. You have to be mindful. Um, and, and I didn't, I, I didn't know what those meant for a long time. I always thought like, you know, that, Oh, that means like you got to do yoga or it's like some woo woo thing. You know, it's kind of like, I, it was too, too meta for me, you know? I, and I didn't realize that, well, no, you don't get through any run without somehow finding the flow at some point, probably like we just stumble into it. Um, uh, you know, anyone that's done that, uh, you know, I mean, it, for someone, it could be a three mile run could, you know, you might need to hit flow to get through three miles, but you know, for an ultra you, you're, you inadvertently stumble into those States, but again, not having rec- like no education in this, no, no real guidance. I didn't know what I was feeling, why I should have been focusing more on other things. Um, so the, you know, the mindsets part was always missed. So a circuitous way of saying, yeah, I guess there's more curiosity now of, can I get back to UTMB and, and have a performance that's not driven out of anger or fear or insecurity? Um, you know, a lot of the different things that have driven my career, like what's possible. And I mean, I may find that the answer is no, you ran better when it was out of anger, you know, like, and that could be the truth, but I, I am more curious about like, Hey, if I can line up to UTMB with a clear head, which I've never done. Um, and you know, what is possible? And, and so I guess that curiosity has reignited a fire to get back out there and try. I've bookmarked a return to the mental side of the sport talking about that later, because in my mind, there are some beautiful things and great performances that come from being unbalanced and I'll say driven by demons, but maybe it's not sustainable. So maybe we talk about that in a second. (laughs) Um, But I think you've also said that you do know that you can win that race one day and you do want to be on the podium again one day. Let's just assume that's still the case. Does it require dedicating a full season or calendar year to that race? Or is this fabled Western States UTMB double actually possible for athletes? (laughs) History tells you that it's uh, it's going to be a challenge. Um, you know, if, if we were looking at, well, I guess uh, just because top of mind is popping out right now for men, like David Laney, he took eighth at states and then third at UTMB. That that was a really good double. Um, um, I know for women, obviously. 
UTMB, there have been there's been so much American success for women over there. Um, you know, multiple, you know, with Chrissy Mill, um, Courtney, um, you know, Rory Bosio. I don't, I don't know if any of them had done states prior. Mm. I know a lot of them had done big races prior. Okay. Um, historically, we have seen that it seems that states and UTMB are so different. It's a hard double to do, and it is. Um, I, I'm starting to realize that I think my limiting variable, and this is probably true for a lot of people, has never has never been the physical capacity. It's been my my willingness to work through low moments, to be in a headspace to do that. Um, and if I start to unpack it that from that angle, I don't see a reason why someone couldn't do a UTMB states double. Um, now, there are a lot of things that go into that. You, you need to obviously be healthy coming out of both. You have to respect the recovery. But I, I guess that's a curiosity that drives me that, hey, you know, probably more so than just having a season geared towards UTMB. Um, you know, is it possible? And and I think the answer is yes. But I think you also really need to be respectful of each moment in that process. Um, where, as I told Dylan, you know, if, if it's not a go and I can, and all outwardly signs are saying no, then you have to be strong enough not to try it. Otherwise, you're going to fail. Um, and, and so... I learned a lot from last year's, we'll call it an, oh no, it was an attempt. Um, it was an attempt. It was a poor attempt at both. Um, but I learned a lot from that. And, and I think that it's, it's something that I do think is, is doable. Um, cause with a hundred mile race, so much can happen. I mean, you look at 2019, 2018 UTMB, hmm. that was probably the second most loaded field they had had. 2017 being the first. 2017 being the first and 2018 uh, and they were so different 2017 loaded most competitive male 100 mile mountain race probably in our sports history and i want to say almost nobody dropped out like all of the favorites finished in contrast 2018 everybody dropped out and you know people that normally wouldn't have made a podium or a top 10 were which was a really neat thing but that kind of highlights you just don't know what's going to happen on the day Mm. like you know Killian and Jim and I could all drop out this year and, you know, Finn could win the race. You know, you know, it's, you just don't know what, you don't know what might happen. Um, and so I think that variable, uh, of like the Cinderella story is always present and, and you can't, you know, overlook that, but I, I'm going to stick with, you know, in this whole vein of, Hey, let's try and be mindful and be present. My goal at the moment is Western States. And in the past, I have, because I've been so anxious about the future, like every little niggle that pops up, I think, oh, I'm injured. I'm not going to be able to race. If I can't race, then I can't validate something. If I can't validate something, then I'm not worth, you know, you go down this like cascading thought like pattern. Mm. And in the, when that happens, you're in, you're unable to be in the moment. You're unable to be present. And even if your season ends up with a victory or a personal win, you can't reflect on that and be, you can't really have enjoyed it because you were never in the moment throughout the whole process, if that makes sense. Like, and I've had that so many times in my career where I can't wait till that race is over because that's an opportunity to X, Y, or Z. And then I've lost three months of enjoy, potential enjoyment of 
the actual act of running, spending time with Lindsay, spending time with friends, because I'm so worried about what the future holds. And then if it doesn't go well, then there's, you know, that opens a whole another side of things of guilting over what you could have done. And, and so you can end up in this cycle of, of not being able to enjoy that process and be growth oriented. And, and I've, I have definitely found myself in that state a lot. Assuming Western States is the focus this year, I think it is. What are you doing differently in this training block for Western States compared to 2021? Because I think you recently mentioned that the 2021 block was pretty solid. Like I think you lived up to your famous quote of it's better to be 10% undertrained than 1% overtrained. Like you were feeling pretty good. Like, is there anything you're going to do differently this block? In terms of physical prep, I don't think so. Um, Cause I, I have definitely fallen victim to, okay, if, if 10 was good, 11 is better. And that's not always the case in running. Um, I think being consistent and repeat, like replicating a, a proper block is more important because it is, you, you got to show up healthy. Um, and so I think really what, for me, the biggest thing that I could do for added success would be to continue to cultivate more my mindset going into it. Um, and, and that's going to be the big focus over the next three months is, is lean deeper into that kind of like that analogy with Kobe earlier. It's like, you know, I think he has said stuff like, you know, I, I could take a thousand shots and then in the game, you've seen like every single moment. So it's not a surprise. Like it's just going to happen. It's, it's automatic. Like that's almost kind of what I, I feel like it could be worked on mentally. Like, you know, practice a lot of different scenarios, good and bad. Um, and be prepared for when those happen. And, and as we have also spoken on, you know, in, in, inadvertently, I have worked through really deep lows in races and come out the other end with outwardly success or with a successful performance. I don't know how I did that. Sometimes it's intuitive. Sometimes, yeah, maybe it's driven out of anger or grit or you're just like trying to prove people wrong. Um, but it does feel like it's, it's luck where I, I don't believe in luck. Um, and I think that, you know, the more I can work on these mental aspects, the more I can maybe repeat some of these things. Um, and then there's, I, I've kind of come to this realization that, you know, in life, if if you constantly, and I, this is personal, like personally speaking, yeah, like if you're, if you're constantly trying to numb uncomfortable feelings, then, and that could be through, I don't know, like people deal with things differently, but it's like, hey, unco- like feelings are uncomfortable. And some people drown those through substance, some through actions, some through thoughts. But the goal is to basically like numb that and not feel what you're feeling. I feel like that can carry over into sport where inherently running is hard. It's it's painful. It's difficult. And if you're constantly just practicing in a in a daily day-to-day life of numbing that you get into sport and you start to try and numb that like you numb that by backing off you numb that by not continue to push you numb that by dropping out um where i listened to something with courtney dewalter recently and i I love her mindset of that pain cave and you know we we hear the pain cave analogy thrown around a lot but um like for her it seems that she's really truly like has her chisel out and she's digging in and seeing how deep her pain cave can go. And she is sitting with that discomfort in a race and like almost looking for the discomfort where I'd be more on the side of, 
I've always wanted runs to feel good. I wanted runs to feel perfect. I wanted mm. them to feel effortless. Like in the moment it starts getting hard, it's not that I always give up, but I'm not as you know strong to push through that necessarily and i'm more willing to waver on that like oh i want a reason to drop i you know give me something you know and i'd love to say as a pro athlete i don't have that mindset or mentality but it's that's what i have experienced um and so it's almost like if we use her analogy i'm like the foreman in the air-conditioned uh like you know you know, trailer uh, up on top saying, oh, we can go deeper, we can go deeper. <laughs> but I don't have my chisel out and I'm not digging. She's in the, the depths of the cave digging and, and hammering. And like, because sport is something that, and running is something that I'm, I'm eager to continue to explore, I want to lean more into that. Like, I want to learn from her and other greats, like that, that mindset that they use where, okay, like if we're, you know, not having false sense humility, false sense of humility, it's like, I've had some good performances in my career. Like, so I, it's not to say I haven't had these moments, but again, it's like, I can't replicate why I did certain things. Like, and, and I, I think that for me, that mindset is what will dictate whether or not I can continue to. And so for States, I don't need to run more mileage. I don't need to have like more heat training. I don't need to put in bigger downhills. I need to cultivate the mind. I've got one more question on the competition front, and then I promise we're going to mindset and psychology because I think this is going to be an excellent conversation. There's just one question I've always wanted to ask you, and I'll first state my opinion. It seems to me that there are a lot of athletes in our sport that have what I call a false sense of humility, like they're afraid to say what they think they can do or what they'll accomplish. No one outwardly has any rivals or grudges, and the fan in me is like, that's, not, that's no fun. Um, so I'm curious why you think that is culturally in our sport. Because you're somebody, at least recently, who's been pretty open about what you think you can do. Like you've said you can win UTMB. You said you, you can win Western States. Do you think more athletes should follow suit as well? It probably starts just from kind of a cultural difference where a lot of athletes that get into running in general, it's it's a much more accepting and welcoming space where, um, you know, you, you hear a common story of like, I wasn't that good on the soccer field or I was good, but I was a better runner. Like, or I, I didn't make the basketball team. And, and so then like no one gets cut from this, you know, cross country. Um, and so I don't know if it starts maybe some of those seeds and it's a very just open and welcoming community, which I, I do love. I, I think that's an as, awesome aspect of our sport. Um, I think, you, and I don't know where it comes from, but I think there is a lot of, I think there is genuine humility amongst our, our, um, our community, but I think there is a tendency to lean heavier into downplaying your accomplish or like your, your, your intent or your goals. Um, and as I'm learning more about kind of the sports psych side, I think that that does potentially drive some people not to reach their best, um, because they're at odds internally. There's that internal struggle of like, I train to win, but I don't feel comfortable saying I want to win outwardly. Um, and I think that can create some strife or some internal conflict. However, I look at someone like Claire Gallagher. Mm. I think she is a, a great example of excellence in our sport. She is incredibly, like an incredibly fierce competitor. She is driven. She is open about her goals. However, she's also empathetic towards her competition and she knows when to turn it off. Mm. I think those are qualities that are important because, you know, there's a big difference between just being, I don't know, an asshole and like being mean to people and then actually just like being like, I want to crush 
these other women. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's there's a balance there. And I, and I love someone that's competitive, but I also love like someone like Claire. She's empathetic towards like she's going to win Western States, but also make sure her competitor is OK in the moment when she sees them like face down in a puddle. Like, you know, it's not going to be like like thriving off of this other person's demise. And I think that's something that I don't think you need to have the killer spirit in our sport necessarily. Now, I do think that you need to build up that mentality of like, hey, I'm going to like it's okay to outwardly say i'm gonna win it's okay it's like jim jim is very I, I feel like he has a very clear intent on like his mission in the sport is to win races set course records and light the world on fire you know and and i think that that has allowed him probably to live up to his potential because he's not afraid to say it yeah. <clears throat> i've never been comfortable saying what i want to accomplish in this world and i'm not going to say that's why i have had spotty performances but maybe in a thought experience in a thought experiment maybe that is you know like i wasn't willing either not willing to own up to what i wanted or i didn't even know what i wanted you know and i didn't have a clear intent or a why or a mission yeah um yeah cool all right let's talk about the mental side of the sport i'm excited and i know we've been hinting at this the whole conversation but uh preface it by saying you have an excellent command of the English language. You have a couple great quotes I pulled up from previous interviews. The first being quote, the brain is a variable that can be depleted and that you've approached many start lines exhausted and at war with yourself and that these cracks in the armor are as significant as anything physical. So I'm curious for you, have the signs been persistent throughout training blocks or do they tend to appear towards the end when most of the work has been done? Because I'm curious, like when you judge that it's time to pull the plug, you know, and to not do a race because you're not ready to go to the well, uh, you don't have the willingness to work through those low moments. I'm really curious what you think about that right now. So personally, they, they have been kind of like the, um, they are present at all moments. Okay. Um, and they, they may reach a crescendo right before a performance. And, and I think a lot of people will deal with this to some degree of like taper tantrums or, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like, you know, not trusting their, everything they've done. Um, but personally, a lot of, without getting really deep into this stuff, I've been driven in the sport of running for probably, a, or out of a lot of, you know, maladapted and insecure, kind of drivers yeah. um and w when you're in training it's easier to cope with some of those uncomfortable thoughts or feelings because you can you can just do more you can just like you can you can double down on maybe some maladaptive um strategies because you can chalk you I mean, you can basically just say like well i'm tired and i'm just going to do a little bit more today like and that's okay because i'm not trying to compete yet but once you start to get into the kind of the closer to a race and if you're tapering in like you need to be fresh and you suddenly remove maybe some of these strategies that you use to cope with things um you've suddenly lost that pillar that's holding you up mm. and it can allow you then to go down the i guess you're you're losing your coping mechanism and it's it's a hard world to navigate um knowing that then like the one thing you really want to do you can't do as as heavily and you can't rely on that um 
and and I think that can then lead to a lot of internal conflict and and even more doubt and insecurity. Um, you know, it it it's interesting. I I've been in the sport of running for over twenty years. Yeah. Um, and at different levels, I've had success, but I still stand on start lines and can suffer from some of that imposter syndrome where, you know, I, I, you know, I'll look over and I'll see Finn and I'll just think Finn looks like really fit today. Like, I don't know if I can beat you. Um, you know, and you know, it, obviously that's not the Mamba mentality or that's not, you know, they're like, I'm going to light the world on fire, but it's something I'm working through. It's like, Hey, be confident in yourself. Like, you know, be honest and accept who you are. Um, and I think that, that level of grace is hard to do, but it's, you know, something we're working on. First of all, I want to say, I really appreciate you being willing to talk about this because when I think of vulnerability and I'm not great at this myself, I have a ton to work on. I'm probably two or three years behind where you are, but when we limit depth in our lives, my understanding is we're putting a a ceiling, a very low ceiling on so many relationships and opportunities in our life. So I think this is a great conversation. I know you also said that when you had that injury at UTMB in 2018, it was a blessing in disguise because if you had podiumed that day, it might've delayed the work you're doing now to work on some of these thought patterns. And I'm curious if you're, because of all the work you've done, are you less frequently internally battling with yourself these days? And is it having an improved impact on your training? Yeah, the frequency is being controlled a bit better. Um, I'd say there's, like every day, you, like I find myself still having to choose to combat thoughts and, um, you know, replace maybe a thought with something else. Like, And I guess some of that is, you know, learning that thoughts are automatic. You can't control your thoughts. Mm. And, and you can spend a lot of time trying to control your thoughts um, and that just leads to more frustration and more, uh, you know, more struggle and, and pain where you really have to reintroduce, you know, maybe a, a, com- a competing thought with facts and reality um, to challenge maybe where you are in your own head. Mm. And, and so learning to do that quicker um, and also just being like, like gracious with myself, realizing that just having a thought isn't a bad thing. Um, and you know, that, that that's normal and that's thoughts are automatic. Um, so I, I, am getting better at that, but it's again, and maybe that's just, that's life. You're, you're never going to, you're never going to conquer it. And, and I've had to let that go where it's like, okay, it's a work in progress. Like you're never going to get this perfect. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be incomplete, but you can continue to cultivate and work on it and, and get more proficient at it. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the, the goal of, um, of working on it. Um, and, and so it, it's improving. Um, and I have noticed that that is allowed in the last you know couple months, some more enjoyable and, and thoughtful runs. Um, like before way too cool, I had several runs where, I finished and I actually enjoyed myself mm. and, and it's been a long time since that happened. And, and I think that's a testament to the path that I'm starting to find myself on. And it excites me then for, okay, you know, maybe I can do more. And, and I, I mentioned to Dylan a little bit where, you know, I, I came to the realization that maybe I don't have the appetite for suffering. You know, I think that our sport requires a huge amount, a huge amount of discomfort to be, yeah. 
<laughs> successful on whichever you know metric you want to evaluate it. And and for so many years, I was just suffering unnecessarily because maybe some of that internal struggle and and kind of um, you know the battles that I was dealing with where. Then on top of that, the running, you're, you're never going to be present. You can't enjoy it. And it's really going to, it's going to suck. Um, and so it's, if I feel like if you end up in a state where you're, you're chasing things, maybe not, I won't say for the right reasons, but you have intent behind what you're doing and you're able to be a little more mindful with it, that suffering is much more of a gift. And it's a, a space that you can be thankful for versus it being suffering on top of internal struggle. Yeah. And I thought you said something incredibly profound earlier, which is that if you're trying to numb uncomfortable feelings by default in life, it will carry over into sport. And the version in sport of numbing yourself is like either backing off your competitive abilities or even DNFing, which by the way, I don't think is a bad thing, but like just not giving your best on the day or mentally yeah. giving in. I think that's real. That's a really interesting way to put it. And I had never really connected those dots and you know, I've had some DNFs before and I've definitely backed off in races because, uh, because of those thought patterns and other areas of life, they definitely transferred over. So very interesting. I think you just gave the audience a lot to think about there. And, and with that same, you know, cause there've been times and I think there are a lot of people that may relate with this. We use running to numb our minds. Like sometimes I have almost felt like the only time I can get my mind to finally shut up is if I exhaust it so much through running. Yeah. But that that also, as you said, like if you're a pro runner and all you did was run, you can only run so much. And then at some point, you actually have to sit with yourself. Like you can't just be in motion all day long. Um, but yeah. And just in a moment of my own vulnerability, I can't tell you how many times in an ultra I have quote unquote backed off because I was afraid to give my best effort because I was afraid to show exactly what that was, which for example, might not have translated into anything special, but it definitely was my best. So it's something very interesting to unpack. And, and that, that concept I think is where if you have, okay, I also, you have another career here or all these reasons why it didn't go well, you can always fall back on, oh, well, A, B, and C, where if you actually gave your best, you have to accept that's what your best was. And I think that is a scary thing for all of us. Very much so. Yeah, man, excellent. Well, for the, I mean, I could go forever, but uh, for the sake of time, I, I know you and Lindsay have to boogie. Uh, let's get to the miscellaneous section of this conversation. And the first one I have for you is, what is something you used to believe strongly about running? It could be any area of running that you've recently changed your mind about. Um, that running that running is a good form of therapy. I think that it's a wonderful coping strategy, but until it isn't. Mm. Um, and it shouldn't be a replacement for, for any sort of true therapeutic need. If you could pick any historical runner from any running discipline to see the Strava logs for, if the platform had existed at that time, who would it be and why? Oof. Uh, I don't know. Um, Everyone says pre, but I mean. <laughs> I know. And, and I mean, the, the teenage boy in me would say the same thing. Um, 
Uh, I I mean I I would be interested in Anne Trayson's mm. training logs. Um, yeah. What's a recent book, movie, or podcast you've consumed that has left a big impression on you, and why? So I've just recently gotten in, into audiobooks, and there's one that has been kind of like my little personal Bible. Um, it, it has veins of self-helpiness, but um, Wabi Sabi uh, by Beth Kempton is, uh, it, I, it was a really great uh, listen. Um, and then if you're like a, just a classic, like in the endurance world, Endure is a really like, you know, in-depth, but great listen. Is that Shackleton? What was that? Is Endure, is that about Shackleton? So they talk about him. Okay. Yep. Yep. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? Ask for help. Perfect place to put a pin in it. Tim, I can't thank you enough for your time. Excited to follow the rest of your journey to Western States. We'll definitely plug the new race in the show notes as well as all your social media handles. Before we go, is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with? As I'm learning, the more I talk about things myself, the more some of the power is stripped away in, in my head um, and, and how less isolating, lonely and sad things can feel because you realize it's a part of the human condition. You know, suffering is part of that. And every, a lot of people will have similar shared experiences. And, and I think it's nice to, it's comforting to know that you're not alone in, in those thoughts. Like, cause it can feel like you're the only person in the history of the world that's ever had that thought. And then in reality it's like, no, everyone to some degree has probably thought that others, you know, more so but i think it's it's just you know talk to those that you care about amen thanks again (laughs) yeah thanks ben thanks for listening if you haven't already checked out the mammoth trail fest i've included the link in the show notes if you've never been to the eastern sierra or you've always wanted to partake in a race in that region here's your chance in addition to being a huge fan of the sport and wanting to give back in this way Tim has traveled the world and experienced just about every type of event that our sport has to offer, so I have a feeling this will incorporate the best of everything. And we may have a few race entries to give out as well, so stay tuned. By the way, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. If you liked what you listened to, do us a favor and give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. It helps new listeners discover the show in their podcast feeds. We'd really appreciate it. That's all I got for now. Talk soon, friends.